Go ahead and open your Bibles with me to Paul's letter to the Ephesians. As you do, just a reminder, the the class, um, the fight for truth, possessing and defending a biblical worldview in a secular age begins this Tuesday evening at 8 p.m. on Zoom. I believe it's uh, a great complement of application um, to what we're looking at presently, we have been looking at in previous weeks, what we're looking at today um, in our, our text. Um, so further application from, from these things. Um, I'll be sending out login information uh, tomorrow to those who have registered. So if you plan to register, please do so um, ASAP. Now, when you made your way in this morning, hopefully you, you saw that we have some tables with books um, upon them. These are items that we've had stored up in our bookstall. And um, basically, we're moving inventory out, um, and so we want to make it available to you, um, a donation. And uh, a donation, it, it's totally up to you. Um, and despite when you find yourself like, hey, we just can't do this, um, can't, make, uh, can't, can't afford anything, then by all means, and you promise to read it, take one, um, take two. Um, the key thing is read them. Um, Read them, uh, keep them for your library as treasures or pass them on to others. Um, Those are the tables in the back. Table over here on the side, you're going to find information pertaining uh, to particular counseling issues. So maybe there's something that you, a family member, somebody um, you know is dealing with um, and you think that might be a helpful resource for them, um, please just take it um, and pass it along um, to them as well. Now, for the time uh, at hand, from the time I was a child, I have always been intrigued by caves. Anyone else like caves? Like uh, some cave fans out there, right? The mystery that they possess, like the, the adventure of, of exploring. So, I mean, whether it was like the guided tour with the easy walking path, um, kind of like Loray Caverns. How many of you have been down to Loray Caverns? Yeah. I grew up growing, going to Mammoth Cave um, in Kentucky, but easy kind of walking paths that are available or like actually spelunking. Now, how many of you have been spelunking, right? You've got a, a few hands that have gone up. Like, how many of you, like, have no idea what spelunking is? Like, like some of you, I don't know what that is. Like, that's actually when you're, like, exploring the cave and you're, you're bringing your own light into the cave and you're crawling through various crevices and holes and wading through water. Um, it's adventurous. It's It's fun. Now, I'm going to admit I'm a little bit more partial now to the easy walking paths uh, than I once was, um, me in tight spaces, not working like they used to work. Um, but um, there, was, there was something fun, um, something scary all at the same time about being deep within a cave, uh, turning off your flashlight and nothing but darkness. Like literally, you cannot see your hand in front of your face, darkness. Scary also in knowing that if your light went out, like you're in trouble. Like batteries go dead, like you're in trouble. Light being essential to dispel the darkness. Light bringing both comfort and clarity along the journey. Making visible what would otherwise be invisible. Which is what we find in our text today as well. How we as Christians are to be the light to the world dispelling the darkness. Look with me, if you will, at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. 
for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the world, in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So the question that we have here this morning is, what does light have to do with darkness? I mean, think about that for a moment. What what does light have to do with darkness? Nothing. Nothing. Wherever light exists, darkness does not exist. And wherever darkness exists, light does not exist. You You can't have one and the other simultaneously. Now, you turn on a a single flashlight in in a dark cave, and it's certainly not going to light up the whole room. But as far as the light extends, darkness no longer exists. Paul using the imagery of, of darkness and light to explain what the new life in Christ looks like. What it means to put off the old self and to put on the the new. Wanting we as readers to embrace the reality of who we are in Christ. And in Christ, understanding is important that in Christ, that we are, that's who we are, that's where we are. Our, Our identity is resting in Christ and that is important because Jesus himself identifies himself in John chapter 8 verse 12 as what? The light of the world. He then says, I am the light of the world. And then follows by saying, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What's this mean? What's this mean especially as we consider our text today and the application that stems from it? Well, I think it's, it's twofold. One, that we, are, we who are in Christ will reflect Christ reflect the light of Christ to the world. And two, that we who are in Christ will have or be light. And I want to explain these a little bit further. So as for how we reflect, consider this as a matter of illustration. Jesus is the sun. And not S-O-N, sun, but S-U-N, sun. And again, matter of illustration. And we as the church are the moon. We shine, but we don't shine with our own light. We shine as we put forth the reflected light of Christ. So at times, our light will shine brightly as that of a full moon on a clear night. Other times, maybe barely recognizable, maybe that of of a fingernail moon. Either way, the point is our light doesn't originate with us. Christ is the source. But as good as this illustration sounds, and I like the, the poetry of it, I, for one, like to, to think about it and, and realize that it's, it's not sufficient. It's not a sufficient illustration to describe who we are in Christ. Because as our text today teaches, if we are in Christ, 
were more than just a reflection of Christ. Look with me at verse 8. Notice how it doesn't just say you were in darkness and now you are in light. What's it say instead? It says you were darkness. That was your identity. You were sin. But now you are light. Meaning the new life we have in Christ is much more than. But not less than a change in eternal destination. As Colossians, Paul tells us in Colossians, we who are in Christ have been, past tense, transferred from the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of God's beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So it's not less than a change of eternal destination, but it's more than. It's also more than, but not less than, a reflection of Christ. Yes, the source of our light doesn't come from us naturally. It comes from Christ. But the light we possess is better illustrated like like Moses, having gone with God, been with God, met with God on top of Mount Sinai, and his face is shining there as a result. You get a really bad sunburn. How many of you have had like a really bad sunburn? All of my light-complected friends in the house, right? Like that moment where like you have just been lit on fire, and you walk into a room, and somebody goes, whoa, you've been, been in the sun. <laughs> yes, yes, I have. And you are as red as red can be. People know that you have been in the sun. You same with our walk with Christ. If, if you are in Christ, people are going to know you've truly come to know Christ. There's going to be light as evidence, light shining through who we are and how we live. Why? Because it's who we are. It's who we now are in Christ. And the more time then that we spend with Jesus, the brighter our light will shine. And that's where I like the moon illustration. As the moon illustration, it shows the moon shines brighter and more as it is aligned with the sun and not blocked by the world. Same with us in spending time with Jesus since he is the light of the world. What's influencing us more? And that's the reason we're called to walk as children of light, shining for the world to see. So now the question is, how do we do do that? How do we shine? How do we walk as children of the light? Well, like a child learning to walk, which is comical at times, it doesn't happen overnight. It's a progression. A progression that may, again, look awkward at times, may even have some falls along the way. Those moments when they start wobbling, you know, and they're, they're, they, they get the courage and the excitement and they start to run, wobble towards you and then smack <laughs> right down on the ground. Which is why when we're learning to walk, what do you, what do you need? Somebody to hold your hand. Somebody to, here's my finger. Just hold on, walk along to console you when you fall down, to encourage you to get back up and to keep on going. 
Friends, this is the purpose of the church. To help Christians learn to walk as children of light. And to encourage us to keep on going. That's what discipleship is. Like that's, that's what discipleship is. Teaching others to walk as children of light. And learning there's always more to teach and there's always more to learn. You're never going to reach a point where you're like, got it all. I figured it all out. It's, it's just never going to happen. So again, how do we do it? <laughs> like, how do we walk as children of light? Well, it starts by understanding, number one, children of light put forth fruit of light. Now, what's the fruit of light? Well, Paul tells us in verse 9 that the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And if we want to know what is good and right and true, we must look to God for the answer, not to the world. That's what the world often calls good, God calls sin. What the world often calls right, God calls wrong. What the world often calls true, God calls false. Just consider the preceding verses, verses 3 through 7 that we looked at a couple weeks ago. For example, immorality and impurity exist. Why? Because holiness doesn't. The world looking to redefine morality and redefine purity to justify what God calls sin. Not just okay, but is good. When they say, hey, these sinful things, the world wants to say, they're good. It's right. It's true. The world wants to say that it's normative. Even calling it, in many cases, God's design. Ah, such pervasive darkness now embraces our culture. Like a dense fog looking to choke out the light. Friends, our enemy is a deceiver constantly looking to steal and to kill and to destroy. And, and he's going after you and he's going after your children and those you love in incredibly cunning ways. See, he's not the, the scary bank robber with the ski mask pulled over like, oh, there he is, I can see him real clear. No, he's the cunning con artist. Danger, trusts only with an attempt to deceive you. But we, friends, we do have every reason to praise God this morning. As our enemy, the prince of darkness has been defeated at the cross of Christ. God assembling his own army comprised of his children. An army of light who adorn his character as our armor. And we walk as children of light, by thinking and acting and pursuing what is good and what is right and what is true, which means character matters. Ethics matter. How we think and process and act matters. These are the, the prisms of light that we reflect and radiate to the world as we engage with it. So the question is, are we faithfully walking as children of light? Or do we look more like the darkness that abounds all around us? 
Number two, children of light discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take a closer look with me at verse 10 and what we're called to do. It says, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. The word discern meaning find out. It could be to test or it could be to examine. We want to find out what is it that is pleasing to the Lord. So a good discerning question to ask oneself. Like, is what I'm about to say, is what I'm about to do, is it good, right, and true? Does it align with the character, heart, and will of, of God? But now, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Because in order to answer these questions truthfully, what's required? We have to know the character, heart, and will of God. We have to know what is good and right and true. As it's not uncommon to hear people today say things like, God would never do that. God would never do this. God would never do that. Anybody ever heard that, that statement before? Others using it in conversation? My, my question there is how do they know that? Especially when the Bible says something different. Like you're, you're saying that God would never do that, but he, the Bible says he does. Take, for example, verse 3 that we looked at a couple weeks ago. Where it says, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. So not to be present at all. Then verse 5, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. So then how can someone read verses like these and be like, yeah, but that's not really what it means. Yeah, but that doesn't include this. And like that, that, that's not what impurity really means. Put in the, fill in the blank with whatever they want. See, where people today want to relativize and subjective, make subjective natures as it pertains to truth, God remains very much objective when it comes to what he defines as true and false and right and wrong and good. We have zero authority or ability to condone that which God condemns. So then the question is, how do we learn to discern what is pleasing to the Lord? How do we learn what is good and right and true? Again, by spending time with Jesus, who is the light of the world. As a birthday gift of the last year, my son received a, a solar-powered toy. It could be designed in multiple different ways. He could make a car out of it. He could make a helicopter out of it. He could make windmills out of it. It was just something he could just make in multiple different things. And it would move based upon the solar power. He didn't realize that at first. Thought it just moved like if it was in the room that was lit up. Thought it was broken. Until he explained, it, no, it works by solar power. So then he took it over and he placed it in the window. Yeah, it moved a little bit. Not much. He's kind of like, eh, that's a dud. I said, take it outside. Bright, sunny day. Puts it outside. There it goes. 
It just takes off. Put it in the shade, put it in the darkness, nothing. See, some of you, you're not putting off the light you should for a very simple reason. Because you're not spending time with the light. You're having difficulty discerning what is good and right and true. Because let's be honest, you don't really know what is good and right and true according to the word of God. Your understandings are are influenced more by the world than they are by the word. Which means you, you need more time with Jesus. The light of the world. Studying and learning from God's word. Spending time in in prayer. Spending time learning from fellow saints. Letting God's truth illumine your heart and mind with with that which is good and right and true. Children of light, number three. Children of light take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. So first part of verse 11, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Pretty clear. Like, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Notice he doesn't say, eh, you can take some part. Little part, it's okay. No part in. But for some reason, we, and I'm talking about we, all of us, we have a hard time understanding and applying the word no, don't we? God tells us to avoid sin altogether. And we're like, how about one little bite? Like cookies on a platter. Don't have any before dinner. Eh, what about one little bite? Just a little taste. I just let my hand hover over here, smell them for a little bit. This isn't really sin. Doesn't that sound familiar? It should. Remember Adam and Eve in the garden? The serpent deceptively asking, did God actually say? And then just a few moments later, what? You won't surely die. Basically saying, hey, one little bite, it won't kill you. Take a bite. Ah, but it did. Despite God telling them to take no part of eating from the tree, they did. And what did it cost them? Their life. Friends, the same is true for each and every one of us. God tells us to take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Not because he's trying to be a killjoy. Not because he's like, I I just don't want them to have any fun in life whatsoever. No, but because he wants us to live. And he wants us to shine. He wants us to shine. And that can't happen if we continue to partake in darkness. Light and darkness do not mix. Thus, we're to take no part in it. Rather, number four, children of light expose the unfruitful works of darkness. So continuing in verse 11, we are to take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Which is why we're called to bring these unfruitful works 
into the light. Now, let's be clear. We, we don't do this by means of shaming. We don't do this through a, a, a hate-filled response, which is sadly taking place all too often, even from people whose theology is right. What, what they're saying is largely true, <laughs> but they're coming across as angry. They're coming across as hateful in their presentation. It does nothing to show the light. It only dims it. But like we've said before, it's possible. It's possible to deliver really bad news with civility and grace and and love. There's never a need to yell. There's never a need to express any form of unrighteous anger when presenting the truth or exposing sin. What comes to mind, as I've illustrated before, is a doctor with a very good bedside manner delivering a very difficult medical diagnosis. The type you just, you just don't want to hear, but he knows that he has to deliver. Walks in and says, I, I, have, some, I have some bad news and I have some good news. And I want you to know on the front end, I'm, I'm going I'm to tell you the bad news first, and then I'm going to follow that up with the good news. You have cancer. And this cancer if it goes untreated, it's terminal. It will kill you. But remember, I told you we had good news, right? The good news is this. We can treat it. But we have to take action now. And this is what we need to do. And then he or she gently and patiently proceeds to explain how they plan to, to treat. May even, because in that moment of disbelief, may, may have to reason with and explain why a certain treatment is necessary because they're confused, they don't understand. May even have to convince them that they really have cancer, again, because of their disbelief. The same thing applies with someone we love who's living in unrepentant sin. It will kill them. It will kill you if you do not turn away. Now, you may not believe that is true. Those you're talking with may not believe that is true. May have any any number of excuses as to why they don't believe it's true. Ah, but we love each other. I, I don't see the problem. Hey, what I do in private affects me, doesn't affect you. Any number of things which is why we're called to expose the unfruitful works of darkness. Not to judge as the world understands judging, but to point them to the hope that is found in Jesus. But you can't be saved and you can't embrace this hope until you realize you actually need to be saved. Can't get to the good news until they believe the bad news, which requires convincing Correcting, condemning, even persuading that is fueled, fueled by love and concern for another soul. You're not just trying to win an argument. You want to see people come into the light using both our words and our actions to expose the darkness. And yes, this is difficult especially in a culture that values tolerance above all else, considers truth to be relative and embraces the open-minded. To expose the unfruitful works of darkness, friends, it will be costly. 
But if we're to walk in the light, is there another option? Is there another option to be had? There isn't. If God tells us to speak, how then can we remain silent in any way consider ourselves faithfully putting forth light? Yes, many may call us narrow-minded, judgmental, intolerant, bigoted, unloving, if we speak the truth. But, but, what of the one who sees the light? What of the one who sees the light? We, we speak the truth in, in love. We warn lovingly of the, of the danger that awaits them on their present path. And they repent and they believe. Isn't that worth any name calling or ostracizing that we may receive? Verse 14. For anything that becomes visible is light. See, what we have in verse 14 is the reality that light has a way of giving way to more light. That is, as the gospel is shared, as the light of the world is made known, the light spreads. It spreads, which is why the church needs to wake up. Number five, children of light must quit sleepwalking. This is the last part of verse 14. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Now, we don't know exactly who Paul is quoting here. It appears to be uh, to combine several Old Testament passages here, so not like one direct quote. But it's likely an early confession possibly used at one's baptism. Those being baptized, being reminded to awake from their slumber, arise from the dead, and shine at the light of Christ to the world. So they're being buried, raised, go forth and shine. New Christians being charged to walk in the light as Christ is in the light. But Paul's purpose in quoting it here is to tell the church to wake up and quit sleepwalking. Stop going through the motions of religiosity and start walking as children of light. Quit being silent and speak. Let your actions align with your confession. More importantly, with God's word. If you are light, you are light for a reason. So you can shine. So shine. As Jesus himself explained, you, you don't light a lamp and put it under a basket. But where? On a table, right? On a stand. Why? As it gives light to the entire house. We're all in that room. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Church, let your light shine. Now, I'm not going to break into this little light of mine. Some of you are anticipating that. <laughs> and some of you who have known me for quite a while knows, know that that would not be a good idea. 
but the words aren't true. This little light of mine, I will let it shine. Won't let Satan spit it out. I'm going to let it shine. Are you letting your light shine? Does the world look at you and see the light? Or do they see something different? Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for transferring we who were once children of darkness into the kingdom of your beloved son, who is the light of the world. We thank you for redemption, for the forgiveness of sins. And now as children of light, may we walk as children of light. May our lights shine brightly in the darkness that surrounds. And as we do, bring even more people into the light. And we ask that you do it all for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and let's sing in response to the preaching of God's word.